0: Hello and welcome once again to Reese Rambles, the official podcast of the YouTube channel Control Alt Reese. If you're not subscribed already, uh, go and subscribe to that, I guess. And this is episode 15. So, um, welcome, welcome once again. Thank you very much for listening and for your ongoing um, lis- li- listenage, um, whatever it is. I was going to say patronage, but that kind of implies Patreon and. Um, yeah. Anyway, whatever. Uh so, a bit of a ramble preamble. Uh time to uh, give a bit of an update on a story that I mentioned in a previous episode. And of course, it's time for a B update, I think. So, I mentioned last time that uh our bees. My wife and I are ex-beekeepers, uh, which is still an idea, uh, still a concept that uh, I'm, I'm kind of coming to grips with. <laughs> that era is over, uh, even though it wasn't really a big part of our, our lives, really. They just kind of lived at the bottom of the garden and, um, you know, we, we didn't really have much to do with them. But um, yes, we, we are ex-beekeepers. Um, I mentioned last week that our bees had gone to a local organisation who are into uh, sort of uh, sustainable, um, you know, urban development and, and agriculture and, and kind of placing bees on bits of disused land and that kind of stuff and that ours had gone to uh, a a microbrewery which is uh, relatively local to us and i've had updates from uh, the, the really nice guy who came and picked the picked the bees up richard um he's on whatsapp and he's been messaging me and we've had a bit of a back and forth we're very much on the same wavelength on a lot of things in fact i think i may have even made a friend um but there you go which is is rare in this modern world isn't it um but he sent me some pictures of the bees and a bit of, an, bit of an update on how they're kind of getting settled. Now he he has actually gone on holiday this week, so uh, he was in a bit of a rush to kind of get them in and get them sorted, but uh, he did uh, he did spend some time with them. Um I think I mentioned last week that they that they were quite um neglected these bees uh, purely because my my wife developed an allergy to them and um you know it was kind of left to me and I wasn't all that confident with them on my own and we also had a few problems with them where they were uh, I'm not going to say they were aggressive because they weren't you know attacking people in their gardens or anything like that uh, thankfully but um you know I had a couple of times where I was kind of trying to uh, sort of inspect them or whatever and and they were a little bit a little bit grumpy and uh, a little bit uh kind of defensive which is which is not what you want when you're kind of stuck a, on your own with your head in a beehive um but uh, anyway, yeah, had had some uh, updates from Richard, and the bees are settled. They're in. Uh, he's already done some kind of rehabilitation work on them, uh, so to speak. Um, I can't remember if I mentioned, but we had a really big swarm uh, just before the just before he came and picked them up. And basically, bees swarm for uh, one of a couple of reasons. But essentially, the reason is that uh, kind of the the underlying uh, concept behind swarming is that uh, it it helps them to. It's the way that they reproduce and that they they go and establish new colonies elsewhere. So the the bees in the hive will raise a new queen. Um, You know, it's a special type of cell that they build inside the hive that they kind of nurture this queen inside of and and feed her royal jelly and that kind of stuff. And when she hatches, essentially, um, if if the existing queen of the hive is kind of old or, you know, not really uh, sort of laying eggs very well, uh, kind of on her last legs, um then the new queen will hatch out and they will actually fight and uh, one of the one of the first things that she does uh, when she is born is is to kill the old queen and then they'll go off and uh, have a, a mating flight and uh, find uh, you know drones from another colony that uh, that they can mate with and then come back and kind of take over and start laying eggs and that kind of stuff or uh, more more commonly um the bees will raise a new queen and the new queen will leave and take you know a, a chunk of the bees away with her and they will all go and establish another colony elsewhere and the two will kind of carry on to sort of co- coexist. And it all kind of spreads exponentially from there. In fact, I actually read um, i actually read a story in the news recently. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's true, um, but the basically, well, the part that is true is that bees have been swarming a lot more because of the weather here in the UK. Um, we, we've had kind of a bit of a very slow and cold and wet uh, build up to the spring. And then all of a sudden we've had this ridiculously hot weather for a week and all of the bees all over the country have decided to swarm at the same time. And apparently it's caused a, a bit of a crisis in the world of beekeeping where um, you know people are running out of equipment and stuff uh, to go and kind of collect these swarms and, and sort of have hives to ha- house them in and, and whatnot. But anyway... Yeah. So, um, the, yeah. The the bit that I wasn't really sure about is um, in the story. It just kind of very casually mentioned at the bottom that there were no wild bee colonies left in the UK, and that the only reason we have honeybees in this country is because of beekeepers, because of essentially um, you know parasites that uh, exist in wild wild bee colonies um, that uh, that the beekeepers keep under control in those managed colonies. Which is quite worrying, really, when you think about it. Um it's not something I've looked into but um yeah worrying worrying if true but anyway the story's about our bees, not about uh, not about the world of bees uh, in general uh, so they've gone to their new home and obviously uh, as i mentioned we knew that they'd swarmed before they went and it seems that they didn't actually produce a new queen before they before they swarmed um, or at least Richard can't find the queen. Uh, admittedly, I've never been able to find our queen either, which is not something you're supposed to admit to when you're a beekeeper. But um, hey, that era's over now, so I guess the truth's all going to come out. But yeah, I, I, I never managed to find her either. Um, but he is a lot better qualified and a lot more experienced, and uh, he, he's convinced that there's no signs of there being any kind of queen in the hive whatsoever, which is which is a bad situation uh, for the bees to be in. Um you know they they can raise a new queen or they can uh, you, you get this situation where the workers kind of start laying eggs but they're not fertile and it, it causes havoc um but but hives can be artificially requeened uh, of course it's a very common thing in the world of beekeeping it's something that we did ourselves a few years back when we lost one um, and and that was successful we actually We actually ordered her in the post and she showed up in a a little plastic cage in a padded envelope, which uh, was then introduced to the hive and she successfully took over as the new queen. So all hope is not lost. I'm not quite sure what his current plan is, but uh, he's he's cleaned out a lot of mess that they kind of built inside the hive, Uh, started to put some new frames in there because the ones that were in there were quite old. Um, If if you've ever seen kind of uh, like comb honey that the bees have made in the hive, obviously that's made uh, in these kind of wooden frames, uh, the same, the same frames that the bees actually kind of live on and they get old and, and they need to kind of be cycled in and out. And that's something that we'd kind of neglected over the years. Um, I went in with good intentions and I actually had some brand new ones, which, which he took, but, um, yeah, it just kind of, uh, kind of <laughs> didn't happen for various aforementioned reasons. Um, so yeah, they they are being rehabilitated. They've gone to a micro brewery in uh, a local town, and uh, they are I've, I've seen some photos of the site that they're actually on now alongside their fellow beehives. I think they've got uh, they're in a row of kind of four or five. so it, they've got the the organization's hives, which are all kind of brand brand new and shiny and've got like these color coded. Uh, patches on and then they've got our old hive kind of sat on the end of the row uh, looking a bit sorry for itself but hopefully he'll be able to rehabilitate those um, it sounds like they've gone to a really good home and um, as I mentioned previously uh, we, we were very much on the same wavelength when I met him um, and yeah may have, maybe have, may have even made a friend uh, with some of the, uh, <laughs> the messages back and forth that we've been having but very much looking to uh, sort, of looking forward to uh, going to see them, and, and once they're settled and, and hopefully uh, all back up and running properly, and of course enjoying some of that beer as well, that nice local beer on the bank of that river, um, should be a good day. And uh, maybe I will get some pictures and put them on my usual kind of uh, social media sort of uh, places. I am on Twitter and Instagram, and um, I, yeah, I have a Facebook account as well, but uh, I only just I only post videos on there and never really look at it because. Uh, Try not to spend too much time on there if I can get away with it. So that's that's a B update. I'm not sure if I'll have any more, but just wanted to let people know that they were settled because I'd had so much feedback and so much interest from the previous ramble. So let's talk about this week in retro. Excellent retro podcast. If you haven't heard of it, and I was a guest this week, which was really really cool. Um, it's one that I've been listening to since day one because um, you know I was already big a big fan of uh, the, the two guys. Work who actually started that podcast over two years ago. Uh, so it was started by Boat, aka John Shawler, uh, Of course, a big name in the Amiga community with his, his channel uh, Amigos Retro Gaming and uh, his kind of network of, of podcasts and things kind of around that. And uh, I'm very pleased to say that he does have an Atari ST themed podcast now as well, which is well worth a listen. And he uh, he started that um, he started this week in Retro with Neil from RMC, of course, and. Yeah, 125 episodes later, uh, they obviously decided that it was about time that they had me on the show, which uh, I think was a very good decision and one that I'm, I hope they're very pleased with. But yeah, uh, on a more serious note, um, you know, just really grateful to those guys for asking me to come on. Uh, it was Dave who reached out to me, one of the uh, the current hosts. So uh, yeah, if, you, if you're not familiar with the show, um, you know, both uh, had other commitments and, and kind of had to... Uh, kind of had to go and focus on those so Neil carried on um recruited a couple couple more guys Uh, Chris the the fake Australian and um Scottish Dave and it's been that way for uh quite a while now I I probably should have checked but um I'm not quite sure how, how how long it's been that particular format but um they've really gone from strength to strength they've had some really awesome guests on um they've had Mr Lurch on obviously uh you know a good friend of mine who I've mentioned on the podcast before uh they've had Clint from LGR on and you know they had um Oh, Shelby from uh, Tech uh, Tech Tangents, and you know just just loads of uh, you know kind of well known people in, in this kind of in this kind of world of retro. So I guess it was only a matter of time before I was asked to appear as well, and I submitted the uh, the Tetris Chicken Nugget story, which I was talking about last week, which uh, I still think is the funniest thing ever. I'm not quite sure why. It's just uh, just my weird brain. Um, and Dave actually picked it up as his story for the week, and we all had a good chuckle about that, um, as well as talking about some other uh, stories, of course. Uh, really, really professional operation. You know, they, they they gave me the notes in advance, and uh, you know, we knew what we were going to be talking about, and I had a chance to kind of make my own notes and my own talking points and stuff. So we all we all went into it really prepared, and and hopefully that is reflected in the end result. Um, at the time of recording, I haven't um, you know I, I haven't heard that. Um, I'm not sure if I'll be given a bit, like a preview. Uh, version to listen to uh to be honest I, I i totally trust duncan the editor you know he always does an amazing job so uh, i'm sure he's not going to make me look like an idiot um but yeah just a uh you know just just a really cool thing to be involved with and a really professional operation uh obviously uh, previously i've been on uh the retro hour and um retro rgb uh with bob a uh, lovely guy um and probably some others that um you know i'm really sorry if i've, if, if I've forgotten about, about you there but um As you know, as I'm sure you can tell just by listening to this every week, uh, I'm not all that good at uh, taking notes. So big thanks to them. And I will, uh, of course, put links to that in the usual places. But uh, well worth a listen. So speaking of this week in retro. Yep, this is a a pro level uh, segue for you. Uh, In this week in the world of retro, we have, of course, seen an important anniversary. And it's one that I just wanted to acknowledge in the uh, in the podcast as well. And that is the birthday of Jay Minor, who, of course, is uh, sadly no longer with us, but uh, we do mark his birthday every year or certain communities mark his birthday every year. And uh, he was a really, really big name in the world of uh, electronics engineering and particularly the, the kind of early home computer industry in the late 70s and the early 80s. And he is known Perhaps predominantly as the father of the Amiga, because he designed the chipset in the Amiga, uh, the Amiga One Thousand, of course, released in nineteen eighty-five. Uh, really uh, high-end, really powerful machine, particularly for uh, sort of graphics work. Um, quite a pricey machine, and uh, one that kind of, uh, I think it's fair to say, was was uh, only really kind of adopted in the world of, of kind of. Um, graphics and, and video editing and that kind of thing until until Commodore uh, re-engineered it and kind of repackaged it into a lower cost version which was the Amiga 500 uh, which of course was a massively successful home computer um, in the, the kind of late 80s and, and throughout the early 90s um, and of course they built a, a, a fair few kind of iterations on that same formula as well uh, in the form of the 600 and the 1200 and a few others which To be fair, um, you know, if if you know me, the Amiga was kind of uh, it's not really a story that I'm really qualified to speak about in any great detail. But um, really, uh, you know, really, really, really smart guy um, responsible for some really revolutionary stuff. And I saw a lot of people tweeting uh, on the 31st of May, um, you know, referring to it as Amiga Day, which, of course, he he was the the father of the Amiga. So why not? But um, there's something that I just wanted to point out. And I did point it out on Twitter as well. And I'd, I'd quite like to do a video about this, actually. As an Atari guy, because it's it's a story that's not really uh, not really covered in in all that much detail. And that's on uh, Jay's work before the Amiga. So the computer industry uh, in in kind of the late '70s and the '80s was was a really small place. You know, there weren't all that many people in the world who were qualified to work on that stuff. And there was a lot of cross pollination and stuff going on between all of these different companies. And Jay actually well, it's not where he started, but um, perhaps one of his, his, his earliest um, really well-known and really kind of uh, revolutionary projects was the Atari 2600 console, believe it or not. Um, he was one of the designers on the, uh, the the TIA chip, which is the television interface adapter chip in the Atari 2600, which is basically the heart of the whole machine. And of course, that went on to be uh, one of the kind of the, uh, the biggest selling and the longest running consoles of all time. A really, really influential uh, games console um, I'm not going to say it was the first that had inter- interchangeable cartridges because I don't think it was uh, and it wasn't even the first home console and I, I know a lot of people kind of wrongly uh, attribute those things to it um, but I think it is fair to say that uh, its influence is uh, something that's that's very difficult to overstate you know it, it really did uh, sort of change the world uh, uh, kind of invent this whole this whole market and this whole industry of home gaming and yeah J minor was the guy behind it and not only that, after that machine's release in 1977, uh, he also worked on the C- CTIA chip, the uh, Colour Television Interface Adapter, which went into Atari's 400 and 800 computers, uh, of course, known in the Atari world as the, uh, the 8-bit home computer range. And he also worked on the Antic chip in those machines as well. So really, really smart guy. And I think it, it's... Perhaps this is just me as a bit of an Atari fanboy speaking, but um, it's always a little bit unfortunate to see that kind of being overshadowed because, of course, the 2600 was was a massive thing in its own right. And so I did what any good fanboy would do, and I put out a bit of a trolling tweet, although it wasn't entirely uh, intended to troll. It was just a a bit of a gentle reminder of of some of Jay's earlier work. And... um, I referred to the day as Atari Day, and I just basically, uh, you know, put a picture of J. Minor and, and just kind of uh, commented on his contribution to the Atari Twenty Six Hundred and the, the Atari Eight Bit Home Computer range, and just kind of uh, put that out as a, a little bit of a reminder that uh, he he was known for perhaps a bit a bit more than the Amiga, and that was that was generally received in the way that it was intended. Um, of course, since uh, since the almighty Mr. Musk has taken over at Twitter, he's completely killed off any kind of reach for anyone who doesn't pay. Seven ninety nine a month for the the, the little blue tick, uh, which of course I am uh, very much against it paying for. Um, so it was only uh, it was only kind of my immediate followers and a, a couple of others that actually saw that tweet in the end anyway. Uh, but I still got some really good replies from people, uh, including uh, including Hoffman. Shout out to Hoffman with your uh, tumbleweed gif. Very good. Um, you know we do we do have a bit of a friendly rivalry going on. Um, I think uh, I think there were a couple of comments from uh, people who were a little bit upset that uh, I didn't mention the Amiga, but hey, the world doesn't revolve around the Amiga and take a quick scroll through Twitter on the 31st of May. And there's plenty of people talking about that. So uh, I just wanted to cover that aspect of his career as well in, in a bit of a tongue in cheek and fun way. Um, I also I, it's kind of inspired me as well, I think. Um, I think at some point, maybe even for the next next anniversary, I might do. Um, I might do a bit of a documentary type video on the channel just talking about Jay's earlier work. And. Um, you know, I, I don't want to uh, I don't want to try and sort of uh, erase the Amiga or, or try and try and pretend that it didn't exist because it was such a such a revolutionary machine. Um, but I, I think I think that does kind of end up overshadowing his earlier work, which was, of course, really interesting. And, and, and just as a revolutionary and um, maybe putting it together, putting together a bit of a documentary uh, covering that earlier stuff in a bit more detail would be uh, would be of a lot of interest to people. So, something that arrived yesterday which I actually wasn't expecting, um, I ordered it quite a while back and I'd, I'd kind of been vaguely keeping up with the updates but uh, as with many of these projects that you order online you kind of uh, get all excited about it and, and pre-order it uh, and then uh, it gets forgotten about until months later when it finally uh, ends up being finished and arriving. Very much the same story as the HDMI mod that I put in my N64 um, and very much very much in the same vein as that as well. Um, essentially if you remember my xbox video from a few months back i put an an upgrade in my og xbox that i've owned from brand new called the xbox hd plus which is made by a company called make megahertz and it's an hdmi interface so um, essentially the original xbox had uh, you know most people would have used it with a standard definition crt tv of the time it was kind of a product of that that kind of uh, crossover era as things were kind of starting to become high definition but not really and you know the processing power for HD stuff was still uh, kind of on the higher end and and if they could get away with it they'd they'd kind of do uh, you know standard definition and um, you know standard TV stuff. Um, I imagine the vast majority of people would have used their original Xbox at the time with a composite video cable um, or maybe even RGB SCART if they were fancy um, I actually had an RF um, adapter that I used with mine. That's how old my TV was that I was, I was actually using my Xbox with back in the day. But uh, anyway, of course, everything's gone HDMI now and it's all kind of standardized around that. And it's a, it's a, digital, a digital video interface, a perfect digital signal from the console's graphics chip itself all the way to the display, um, you know, that, that, that completely uh, uninterrupted digital signal chain. Uh, But of course, the console wasn't originally designed for that, so Make Megahertz went and designed this add-on called the Xbox HD Plus. I installed one in my console, and I love it. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, I've rediscovered the original Xbox again. Uh, It's once again one of my absolute favourite consoles uh, that I own. Um, You know, one of my favourite consoles of all time. I've spent many a a happy, uh, happy hour playing with with it back in the day, and it's been really nice to be able to kind of rediscover it and have the uh, not only the the convenience um of, of hdmi and just being able to sort of plug it in and have it all work and and you know that that fantastic signal uh, but also kind of the, the modern upgrades that they've added to the uh to the mod itself so games that didn't originally have you know 720p support or widescreen support or whatever um you know that they've kind of added those kind of reverse engineered those into those games by kind of hacking into them at a, at a very low level if you like I'm trying not to get too technical um and, and and part of the way that they did that was was using a mod chip now lots of people had mod chips in their xboxes back in the day mainly so they could play copied games um originally you could uh you know you, you could copy a game to a, D, a recordable dvd um and the mod chip would would allow the console to be able to read those and and obviously trick it into thinking that it was a proper retail copy and it wasn't long before. Um, you know, those mod chip developers added the ability to install those games to the, the internal hard drive in the Xbox and then people were putting bigger hard drives in them uh, and so on and so forth and kind of led to this, uh, you know, stuff that was eventually supported by by kind of modern consoles in the end. But uh, those those kind of early hackers were, uh, were leading the way. But what the Xbox HD Plus uses a mod chip for is to uh, kind of do that very low-level... Um, you know, get get those hooks into the into those games at a very low level and kind of override the uh, like the rendering settings and, and the graphics settings and stuff like that. Because obviously, unlike PC games, where you can go in and just change all the graphics settings, um, developers were aiming for a kind of common platform, and that that was all fixed and and wasn't sort of tweakable by the user. Um, and in a lot of cases, the console was capable of much more, um, but due to whatever restraints or Whatever else uh, the developers uh, would limit it to, uh, you know, non-wide screen, uh, just basic standard definition. And the mod chip that they used for that, and the one that I installed, th- this is going somewhere, I promise. <laughs> the mod chip that the uh, that I that I installed in that uh, in that video originally, and, and the one that they they kind of built themselves, uh, was called the Open or the Open Um and it, it, it was their kind of open source um, reverse-engineered version of one of the original. Xbox mod chips from back in the day called the Xenium. And they'd, they'd basically uh, sort of managed to reverse engineer all the firmware and stuff and kind of come up with their own modern uh, sort of open source version of it. But they did say at the time that that was only kind of a temporary kind of stopgap just to get the Xbox HD Plus up and running. And that longer term, they were working on their own mod chip called the Stella. Now, the Stella, as soon as they put them up for pre order, I ordered one. Um, not Really, because I, w- I was all that interested in in some of the features, and it did, does have some some really crazy sort of new features that have never been seen before in the world of the OG Xbox. Um, but because I I really kind of believed in the uh, in the company that were making it, and because uh, they had a really great kind of community around them, but also uh, because it would um, you know hopefully unlock a lot more features of the uh, the Xbox HD Plus HDMI mod because it would give them much lower level access into kind of the kernel and the BIOS and kind of all the underlying architecture of the Xbox. So at least that's what they were promising. Uh, And it all sounded very convincing to me. So I bought one and that arrived yesterday and I installed it and it probably took less than an hour um, just to kind of replace my existing mod chip had to add a couple of extra pins in um, that I hadn't added for the, uh, the kind of the debug header in, inside the Xbox that that slots into uh, and also you have to modify the original Xbox HD plus if you already have one uh, to add like an extra connector to it uh, that, that connects the two together so they can communicate um, and it all worked first time no issues whatsoever and the cool thing about the Stellar mod chip and I'll just talk about it for a minute because I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to be making a video about it or what but um the Stellar Mod Chip adds some really interesting new stuff. For example, um, it has an SD card slot on it, and you can put an SD card in it, and you can actually have virtual hard drive files in there, and it can run—you know—it it can run rips of games and things uh, installed from a virtual hard drive, which hasn't been seen before in the original Xbox. Um, it's something that they've had to sort of tap into the, the very low-level stuff to be able to do. Um, I should add actually that um, all of the other mod chips that have ever existed have been built around kind of modified versions of Microsoft's original uh, kernels and BIOS and stuff for that console. Whereas the Stellar actually uses a, a brand new, completely built from the ground up, um, you know, re implementation of that entire stack and all of that kind of low level. Uh, stuff and, and it's they've basically replaced all of Microsoft's original uh, bootstrap code and BIOS code and, and kernel uh, code and everything else with their own kind of clean room re implementation of that. God only knows how they've achieved it and managed to make it compatible with all the existing games and stuff, uh, but it gives them. You know, a whole new level of kind of control over the console that's 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 never been done before. So uh, I was really really interested to see where they go with it. The uh, the, the firmware for it is still in beta, and the, there's still a lot of stuff that's kind of promised that's um, that's uh, not not working yet. Um, at the minute, it basically works as a, a basic mod chip um, and, and kind of uh, unlocks uh, some more potential of the HDMI mod. Um, you know, and offers very basic functionality like an FTP server and stuff so you can transfer files to it. But they say all of this stuff is coming and to be honest've they've, they've always delivered on their promises in the past. so I have no doubt uh, that they are going to do that and you, you can go onto their discord and, and chat to the developers and they're you know really friendly really sort of passionate guys. So really cool project. not sure if I'm going to make a video about it uh, purely because the install was very straightforward. And there's not really all that many features to show off at the moment, but um, certainly one I'm going to keep an eye on. And i um, really pleased that I'm going to be getting more use out of my Xbox because it is one of my favourite consoles. Right, on to the final story, which is about a book I've been reading, or more accurately, listening to. Now, I'm not a, uh, a big reader, so to speak. Uh, sometimes a book will catch my attention and I'll uh, you know sit and kind of uh, absorb the entire thing over the course of uh, some marathon a few hour sessions. I'm quite a fast reader, and I'm quite good at absorbing the information. Uh, thankfully, and it's something I've always done since I was a kid. Um, but reading isn't isn't kind of an ongoing thing that for me that I do regularly. Uh, just very occasionally when uh, something kind of pops out that uh, that I want, and that's what happened in the case of this book, uh, which I believe a guest mentioned on the uh, the Colin and Samir podcast, which is a, a big kind of YouTube slash creator podcast that I listen to. It's had quite a lot of influence on uh, my kind of video making process and stuff. Really good one if you are, if you have your own YouTube channel and you're interested in that kind of stuff, Uh, as is this book, um, which is called The YouTube Formula by Daryl Eves. Now, you probably don't know the name Daryl Eves, and that's fair enough. Um, Years and years ago, there was a a viral advert um, for a company called Squatty Potty, or a product called the Squatty Potty. And it featured a unicorn, like a plush unicorn puppet that pooped uh rainbow poop um that was like ice cream like went into an ice cream cone and then like people ate it i think um i vaguely remember it being a thing and apparently he was the guy behind that he's from a marketing background and uh, that, that was kind of this like massive viral advert that, that was just all over the internet at the time the kind of early very early days of online video uh, like i say I, I do kind of vaguely remember it um but he, 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 perhaps more importantly, um, as far as we're concerned, has worked with a few big YouTube channels. So he's worked with Mark Rober, who uh, you may well know as a big kind of science and technology YouTuber, uh, ex-NASA, ex-Apple guy, a really, really smart guy um, from an engineering background, builds all kinds of uh, gadgets and, and stuff. And... Um, yeah, maybe, maybe uh, more famously known, uh, d- despite all that, for his, uh, his Squirrel Olympic videos where um, he uh, tortures the squirrels that live in his back garden by putting them through a series of trials in exchange for food. Uh, very entertaining videos indeed, but uh, kind of a, a bit uh, bit uh, off topic for him. But um, he also has a, a new venture called Crunch Labs, which is uh, like a, a monthly subscription box for kids with uh, like engineering products and uh, projects in uh that's really cool and um yeah so daryl leaves worked with him to kind of help him grow his channel in the early days he also works with a channel called nerdy crafter if you're into your crafting stuff she's quite big in the crafting crafting world not quite sure why i keep saying the word the word crafting but there you go and um, oddly enough she popped up as a uh, in a collab with another channel that i watch um completely randomly a few weeks ago so it was interesting to hear her name come up as well in this book. She's evidently much bigger than I'd I'd kind of uh, given her credit for and he also worked as a consultant with a channel called Mr Beast. I don't know if you've heard of that one um, but uh, yeah he, he's a qualified YouTube consultant slash coach and uh, does all of this work with these big channels to kind of help them to grow their channels. Now the tagline of the book is incredibly off-putting and, and very nearly. Uh, you know if it wasn't for uh, this conversation that i'd heard about the book i probably wouldn't have read it having seen this tagline it's called the youtube formula how anyone can unlock the algorithm to drive views build an audience and grow revenue yes build an audience and, and grow revenue unlock the algorithm that's uh, that's all stuff that i'm interested in uh, you know never mind actually making good videos that my audience uh, find interesting and, and like watching you know let's uh, let's let's hack that algorithm and and grow my revenue um Thankfully, uh, I think that that tagline is just there. Uh, it's, it's like a product of his uh, his sales background um, to try and uh, try and attract people who are into that kind of stuff. And actually, the core message of the book is basically work out who your audience are, um, make the best possible videos for them that they find useful, that they find entertaining, uh, that they find engaging and just optimize things from there, you know, really kind of get to know them, build a community around the channel, um, find out what they like and what they want and, and just kind of cater to what they want. And that's how you build a channel and unlock the algorithm and drive views. Um, and yeah, as a result, grow revenue if you have adverts on your channel, because, you know, the more people that enjoy your videos, the more people are going to watch and the more ads are going to get watched. And yeah, the more money the channel's going to make, I guess. Um so the, he kind of leads with this tagline, and, and actually it, it ends up, it kind of transpires, trans, yeah, that's the right word, isn't it? That, um, that's kind of a byproduct of the kind of process of just um, sort of looking at your analytics and talking to your audience and working out what people want, which is something that I've been doing for quite a while now, and um, something that I uh, kind of put down, uh, you know, the, the, the success and the recent growth of the channel um, down to. You know, it, this isn't something that I've kind of spoken uh, sort of honestly about for a, for a while. Um, but uh, if it wasn't for the uh, the massively successful solar video that uh, I did last year back in September, my channel would probably maybe coming up to ten thousand subscribers now. Um, I'm currently approaching twenty three thousand, so I think that more than doubled the size of the channel in quite a short. Uh, period of time Um, and of course I now have this split audience and I've got um, you know kind of half of the people who are subscribed to my channel who are only interested in the solar stuff and as I've said previously I think that's kind of run its course a bit and it's not something that I really have much more interest in. Um, It's just the thing that's in my house that generates electricity that I use for my channel and there's not really much else I really want to do with it. Um, So I do you know i'm i'm not going to sit here with my 23,000 subscribers and and say oh oh woe is me i've got this split audience and i've got all these people who aren't aren't interested in my retro computer stuff because there, there are people out there who'd kill for that kind of audience and because you know i am genuinely genuinely grateful to have that i think i'm i'm very uh, fortunate to, 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 that this has happened to my channel um but i do think it's it's a result of kind of having the pieces in place um you know, I'm not going to sit here and claim to be some kind of YouTube genius or anything like that. Um, but I also don't think it's something that could be put entirely down to look. Um, it's more a case of making videos in a particular format that uh, is quite digestible and, and quite relatable um, and that, that people obviously kind of engage with and connect with. Um, and I just happened to have done one on a topic that had broader appeal than the, the stuff that I generally cover. And that's, that's a, attracted a lot of people um but there you go that's uh kind of stuff that's that's covered in, in the book um stuff about looking at retention uh why viewers stop watching videos at particular points and uh, you know to, to kind of uh, optimize those for future releases and, and not have those boring bits or those irrelevant bits or whatever that, that kind of uh, put people off um and yeah just some really interesting uh, inside information about like big brands and, and stuff like that as well um like for example uh, if, if if, like if, if you've had a video that's had a lot of views and you look at um, how much money you've made from that video you can then extrapolate that to a bigger channel so if you then go and look at Mr Beast with his hundreds of millions of views on you know on his videos tens of millions or whatever um, and you say okay well, well I had this many views and I made this much money so I will extrapolate that to how many views he's had and bloody hell he's made a lot of money out of that video hasn't he Actually, the story is even worse because those really big channels, there's there's a um uh, that once you get to a certain size, you get manually v- reviewed by YouTube for certain kind of advertising criteria and it takes a, a lot of stuff into account, uh, stuff like the family friendliness of the channel and, and even even stuff like the quality of production and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, and they even go into, like, you know, scandals and, and people's personal lives and, you know, uh, stuff that kind of the really big brands that traditionally advertise on TV would be interested in. And if you make it into this club, you get ads on your channel from people like Mercedes and Coca-Cola and, the, the you know, the big perfume brands and these big global brands. Um, you wouldn't see an a, an ad from one of those companies on one of my videos, for example, now the thing is, these brands pay five times as much <laughs> because because that's how valuable that um, that audience is to them. Uh, so they pay yeah five times as much per view as as the other advertisers do. So actually, if you've ever looked at your pittance of an ad revenue uh, from your YouTube channel, and then looked at Mr. Beast and gone, okay, well he's got uh, you know fifty million times the amount of views that that I've got on my video, so therefore he must be making fifty million times what I've made from this video. Actually, you can take that number and you can multiply it by five. (laughs) That just goes to show uh, just how much money there is, uh, you know, sloshing around in the world of YouTube. But anyway, yeah, as much of an interesting distraction as the financial side of it is, uh, there's a lot lot of good advice in there for uh, people just wanting to make good videos and, and build an audience and kind of build a connection with that audience. And I thought that stuff was all very kind of interesting to me. And hey, you know, maybe one day, one day I'll be making that Mr Beast money. But uh, honestly, that's not why I do this. You know, I, I do this because I enjoy the process of making these videos and I enjoy having online friends who share those interests and I can chat to and, you know, enjoy the stuff that I make. And I think ultimately, if if that ever wasn't the case, then, um, you know, I, why why do this anymore? Well, I, I suppose, you know, millions of pounds would be quite a good incentive, but uh Anyway, I think that's enough for this week. Thank you ever so much for listening. Uh, It's uh, always a pleasure. And uh, thank you so much for your support for the Control on Reese YouTube channel and, of course, for Reese Rambles. I'm off to go and make a cup of tea and start editing this. And I will hopefully see you same time next week.